So hi everybody and welcome to today's Recovery from Relapse meeting. Today is Tuesday, November 7th, 2023, and today we are very grateful to have Amy G, who will be sharing her experience, strength and hope. So Amy came into OA in March of 1983 and has been recovered since December 1987, and she is from Maryland. So Amy, it's over to you. Great. Thanks, Alan, and thanks, Esta, and everyone giving service. Uh, so appreciate you all. Couldn't do it without you. My name is Amy G. I am a recovered uh, bulimic, anorexic, and compulsive overeater, gratefully recovered one day at a time because of this awesome fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous. This program has not only saved my life from compulsive eating, but it has transformed it in a way that I never dreamed possible via putting down the food and working the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. It has completely transformed my life. I'm a big book fanatic, so you're going to be hearing me talk a lot about the big book. This is not a novel or a fiction reading for me. This is the book that I study because to me, I believe when you take out alcohol and alcoholism and put food and compulsive eating, you have the, I have the description of who and what I am, which is a compulsive overeater and I am powerless. And without these 12 steps, I am doomed to repeat the insanity that was my life, my life before I came to Overeaters Anonymous in March of 1983. Now, since the focus for this is um, recovery for relapse, I'm going to focus a bit on those first five years for me where I bounced in and out of the program and why I think I did. But just since you can only see me from the shoulders up, um, my top weight was about 170. And I always say, but because of the three Ds of the disease, denial, delusion, and defiance, I just decided to not get on the scale anymore. So I probably put on another 15 or 20. So I was pushing 200. My lowest weight as an anorexic, and I know that number, was 102. And that was driving in the car in the summer with the heat on and the down jacket. And um, that's probably about 30 pounds less than what my normal weight should be. And then by far and away, my worst manifestation was as a bulimic Um, you know, I bought this magic trick that I could, so I could eat whatever I want and, you know, throw it up and not get fat. But, uh, what wound up happening because this disease is so cunning and baffling that it wound up, it got to a point where I was puking 10 or 12 times a day and I could not keep anything down in my stomach to feel full, full for me was to be filled with terror and rage, and I don't know what, but I was a mess. I am a critical level, you know, food addict, compulsive eater. I mean, I'm also a drug addict and an alcoholic. If you're catching my drift here, if there was any way to anesthetize myself and escape reality, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, I don't know about you all, but when I was growing up, I used to walk around you know, feeling so uncomfortable in my own skin going, why does it look like everyone else has the instruction manual to life? And I don't. And somehow I missed it. Right. So I needed to figure it out on my own. And I came from a sort of no talk, no feel family. And that's not to blame them. Nobody threw me down and tied me up and put food down my throat. Right. But I didn't know how to speak what I was feeling or the discomfort. It's called a disease or a dis-ease, a dis-ease living in my own skin. So 
I sought ways to try to deal with life. And when life got rough, which was all the time, as far as I was considered, I sought the ease and comfort that comes by the food. And for me, specific foods. I mean, I believe what the disease concept that is talked about in the big book of a physical allergy and a mental obsession. I know for a fact that for me, sugar, high fat, flour, and volume, that was a big one to wrap my brain around, particularly those first five years in OA, that I am off to the races like an alcoholic. I cannot stop. I also believe in the mental obsession, which is the greater aspect of this illness, as it's described in the big book, because if I know all these foods are going to kill me, why is it that I keep going back to them? If I know it's going to bring me pain and torture and suffering and puking and all of these other things, why do I keep thinking that somehow, some way, this time, that bite of that cookie won't get me? This time, I'll be able to control it. This time, I can do it. I mean, I grew up in a family that says all it takes is a little willpower. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do anything you put your mind to. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't stay on a diet. I could achieve in other areas, right? But when it came to staying on a diet and eating those foods and not being able to stop, I didn't understand. And what the big book teaches me and the 12 steps teach me is that because of the physical allergy and because of the mental obsession, me, myself, and I are doomed. I do not have the sufficient will, nor the knowledge, nor the willpower to beat this disease on my own. My thinking is actually a liability. My thinking, the problem centers in my mind. You know, my eating was only a reaction to life. The problem was going on with me, inside of me. You know, the hole in the soul that I tried to fill with a knife and a fork. And um, it didn't work. One of my favorite quotes in the big book in Bill's story, he says, out of the drink and speculation, I was to forge a weapon that would turn around like a boomerang and shred me to ribbons. And that's what happened to me when I tried to put together my instruction manual for life. And it just about shredded me to ribbons to the point where in March of 83, I came to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting. I was a freshman in college. I was failing out of school. I was taking all the money that my parents sent me for school books and whatever. And I was going to the grocery store with a piece of paper pretending to be ordering for a party, right? Because, of course, we had to keep appearances, right? And uh, and I would take bags of groceries and I would go into my dorm room and I would puke into a trash can and eat and purge all weekend long. And then in the middle of the night, I would take that trash can and I would throw it out in one of the bigger bins. And I don't say this to gross people out, but this is just the reality and the devastation of what this disease does. And it's so cunning and baffling because if you had asked me what the problem was at that time, I mean, I'm 18 years old, right? I would have said it's because my family's effed up. I would say it's because I didn't get the guy that I had a crush on. It was because I wasn't thin enough. You know, I bought the myth, the world sells, that if you meet this magic number on the scale, that somehow your life is going to come together. And I could never find that. I could never find that fantasy. So anyways, I walked into this Overeaters Anonymous meeting and I heard the word compulsive eater. I'd never heard of that. Never didn't even know what that was. Abstinence. I mean, I had no clue. 
I mean, this fellowship, it is a 12-step program. We do need to work the 12 steps, but I will say the power of identification has the power to save lives because when I walked into that meeting and I heard people talking about things that they did with food, like throwing it in the trash and then going back and getting it a few hours later, eating food that is frozen, stale, burned, molded, you know, whatever, I thought I was the only one. I mean, this is a disease that talks to you in your own language. It wants to get up into your head and kill you. It will tell you in your own voice that it's okay to rationalize the most insane behaviors. I was a liar. I was a thief. I went to dorm rooms and stole money for food. I stole your food out of mini fridges. I mean, people were talking my language in this meeting. But unfortunately, or fortunately, or however you want to see it, in God's economy, nothing is wasted. Somebody started talking about God. And to me, God was a four-letter word at that point because I was firmly entrenched in my agnosticism. God didn't give me what I wanted like a universal freaking Santa Claus. So I said, the hell with you. And when they said, God, that this is a program of higher power, God, whatever, I got up in the middle of the meeting and I stomped out of the room. Little Miss Drama Queen, you knew why I was leaving. And God bless you all. You all are my God squad, this fellowship. Someone followed me out of the room. You know, you just never know if you're a seed planter, a life changer, whatever. But, you know, that is our job to stay on the firing land, to stay on the firing lines of life. And someone followed um, me out of the meeting and said, look, you know, you can make your higher power whatever you want. The only requirement for membership is desire to stop being crazy with food. We welcome you here. And they handed me a pamphlet with 15 questions. Are you a compulsive, um, compulsive overeater? Um, and then she just said, come back. We love you. We welcome you. And that saved my life because I read those 15 questions and it was stuff like, you know, do you eat a little in front of others and then anticipate going home and eating large volumes and quantities of food? You know, have you ever been treated for morbid obesity or seen a psychiatrist? I mean, I answered yes to every single one. And I always laughed because I was failing school and I was like, that's the first A I'd gotten in an exam in a really long time. Because it was like a splash of cold water hit me in the face. And I thought, wow, this must be who I am, right? So I started coming back to meetings. But like I said, that was that was March of 83. And I didn't become recovered and abstinent, the always definition of abstinent, refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food by behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight, right? That was almost a five-year span of relapse, and I'm telling you, OA uh, and compulsive eating, the two don't go together very well. They, there's a joke that goes around in OA that is OA is like the mafia. Once you get in, you never get out because it ruins all your binges and you know too much. Right. So now I would be relapsing in and out of the rooms and I'd be like, wow, I'm admitting I'm powerless, but but I'm still not abstinent. You know, I needed someone to sort of show me the way. And at that point, I was really struggling I think one of the most deadly things that we can do in in Overeaters Anonymous is to be closed-minded and unwilling to take action. 
right? My first sponsor, when I finally started working this program in 87, she said, look, in Overeaters Anonymous, we don't think our way into a new way of acting and believing. We act our way into a new way of believing and thinking. This is a program of action. We don't, we don't even want you to think that much, Amy, right? Because we know where your thinking gets you. And I think you do too, Amy. And she was right because my thinking was killing me. It was constant. My thinking was a liability. It was constantly convincing me because of the mental obsession that I could do things that I couldn't do. You know, the mental obsession drives you to the food and the allergy, the physical allergy keeps you there in a vicious cycle that I was torturously doing for those five years in Overeaters Anonymous. You know, and when I look back on that time and I try to think about, you know, what were those things besides unwillingness was my unwillingness to work this program in its totality. Right. It talks about it and how it works. Half measures on page 59, half measures avail us nothing. We stand at the turning point. To me, this is an all in program. On page 58, it says, you know, at some of these, at some of these steps, we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. And I tried every easier or softer way there could be because I was willing to admit I was powerless. But steps like eight and nine, like make amends, are you kidding me? Like when hell freezes over, like what does that have to really do with me wanting to just meet the magic numbers on the scale? Because that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to lose the weight. What I didn't understand or gain it for that matter What I didn't understand was that there is so much more to this disease than meets the mouth, if you'll excuse the pun, right? I needed to understand that putting the food down was just the beginning. It was like step zero, right? Because then began the process of personality transformation that I needed to stay abstinent. Because in those five years, I could get abstinent all the time. I had three months here, four months here, four weeks here, eight months at one point. But I could never stay stopped. Why could I never stay stopped? Because I never addressed the mental obsession through the 12 steps. You know, I never did the inventory. I did it sort of half-assed. I kind of treated this program in all honesty with buffet style, right? I'll have a little of this step, a little of that step, right? You know, and um, I remember I heard this in a meeting once, and I really like it because it kind of encompasses what I was struggling with. You know, the first word in step one is we admitted we are powerless. This is a we program and I need power greater than myself to restore me to sanity up here. But there is only something me, myself, and I can do. Me, myself, and I. That is to choose to surrender and take the appropriate action as the instructions, these instructions are laid out. Not my instruction manual, these instructions, right? And oh, by the way, once I follow those instructions, I get a manual that is the fourth dimension way of living life that I never even dreamed possible. I mean, if 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 you were to ask me when I first walked into OA what I'd want, what my dream would have been, would have been to just stop dying from compulsive overeating. Now I'm realizing that I've not only been given that, right? I've been given a way to live life that I never dreamed possible, like to to handle life. Right. Step two says, you know, we are restored to sanity. So I'm slowly but surely one day at a time being restored to sanity in my thinking. And in step three, I I turn my will in my life over. I don't have to carry the world on my shoulders anymore. I don't have to be a control freak. I don't have to be a perfectionist. I believe now in a higher power whom I choose to call God, which is just 
ridiculously hilarious considering where it was when I came into this program. I mean, my sponsor said to me, she said, Amy, I don't care if you think it's Jesus, Buddha, or the universal vibes of a tree, as long as it isn't you and it's greater than you. And at that point, by by five years in, I was like, okay, I give. And initially, it was just the power of the group. It was the power of my sponsor in whom the problem had been solved. Because I never thought in my wildest dreams that it was possible to get anything more than a few months of abstinence, right? And she had a couple of years. To me, that was just freaking phenomenal. How is that even possible? And here I stand Amy. before you. Yeah, that's halfway through. Okay, perfect. So here I stand before you with a couple of decades. Am I all that? Absolutely not. It is because of the power of this program and the power of my higher power. This program has given me the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, in the way that I can live my life, not only abstinently, but um, with a higher power. And over the years, that agnosticism, it started to transform. And I started to, through my step work, to to come to believe in a power greater than myself, whom I now choose to call God. Again, phenomenal for me. I would have never imagined it. But it is a power greater than me because I needed that. And today, I need that today just as much today as I did back then, because just because we're abstinent doesn't mean that life is, you know, going to be all peaches and cream and rainbows and unicorns, right? We, I needed, I need, I needed then and I need today. So that agnosticism, unwillingness to take action, unwillingness to follow instructions, still relying on willpower and knowledge, all of those things stood in the way for me in those first five years of constant relapse and finally willing to surrender in December of 87 was a life changer for me because I finally surrendered to who and what I am. I am a compulsive eater, food addict, bulimic, anorexic. I am who they say I am. I have the physical allergy. I have made that choice to surrender. I have the mental obsession. So now I'm going to work this program like my ass is on fire. And I did. I think one of my biggest fears in complacency, I mean, my biggest fear in long-term recovery is complacency because I don't ever want to forget those those five years. I don't ever want to forget what it was to try to work this program my way because I know where that will get me. And that relapse is a healthy reminder for me of where it is that I don't want to be. I mean, I thought my life was hell before I came to OA, but I didn't know, even know what I was doing. And I didn't know what was up or what was down. But now I know. Now I know. And I don't want to live that way anymore, especially when I have a choice now. I have a choice. Does it take work? Absolutely. It takes some work. Right. But that means that if I do the work And if I follow the instructions and I work the steps, right, then then I can be free one day at a time. I can be free. And so can you. But step zero is to put the food down. And that's another thing I had to work on in those first couple of years, too, to really understand for me what was my abstinence and what that entailed, not only refraining from allergic ingredients and substances and particular foods that related to compulsive eating habits, but also volume. I'm an unabashed weigher and measure for over 35 years now because I just don't know when (laughs) my full button is broken. I don't know when to start or stop, and I don't want to have to worry about it. 
I like to have a very clear, and we all do, in my humble opinion, whether or not it's three meals a day, nothing in between, or it's weighed and measured. I mean, the big book talks about entire abstinence. I need to know what is abstinent for me. What is that line in the sand? And I'll be honest with you, emotionally, I don't know three ounces of beef from half a freaking cow, depending on my emotional nature. So for me, that weighing and measuring stops all the obsession. There's no confusion for me. And like I said, not everyone needs to do that, but we all need to decide what step zero is because then the obsession stops. And then we move on to working the business of the program. And for me, I had to wrap my brain around the volume issue because I could start binging on carrots. I mean, I had to go to the doctor once. I ate so many carrots that my hands turned orange. There's actually a, a, a what do you call it? A, a saying for that's called keratinitis. <laughs> I have TMJ from my jaw from eating so many raw vegetables as, as, as an active addict, right? So volume for me was a big issue. Maybe not for everyone, but I had to say that for me. That was a big part of my relapse because I could start binging on carrots, right? And then wind up in the sugar, high fat, flour, and volume. That compulsive behavior of volume eating was a trigger for me. And I had to address that um, in those first five years. And then once we get down to the business of putting the food down and working the steps, I had to be willing to do the things. I was talking about eight and nine when hell freezes over. There was a few people on my list, let me tell you, that I did not want to have to make amends to because I don't know about you all, but quite often there are people on the list that you need to make amends to that have also hurt you. And that has been, that was a real struggle for me. But again, we act our way into a new way of thinking and believing. We take a leap of faith. And I truly believe that the promises are after step nine, because that whole idea of God, I began to see things happening during those amends that I would have never imagined, had no control over. I started to see God active in my life. I started to see a higher power when I was willing to take action, also return in volumes for me in ways that I could have never imagined how things would worked out, worked out, especially during those amends process. I was able to reestablish a relationship with an abusive brother, with my workaholic father, and make restitution and resolution with him before he passed away. And that was incredible. Um, you know, I know I'm running out of time. It's I wanted to focus on those first five years, but I also want to talk about you know, emotional relapse. I'm grateful to say that I have not relapsed into my compulsive eating or drinking or drugging in many a year. And I'm so grateful one day at a time. But one thing I do struggle with is that spiritual maintenance in step 11, while step 10, 11, and 12. And it's my responsibility to continue to work this program and be active in my service, in my step work, and not only service in my away fellowship, but service to my family. I mean, I literally grew up in these rooms. I came at 22. I didn't know how to date. I had just took hostages, as the saying goes, right? I had to learn how to be a person in my community. I had to learn how to be self-supporting. I had to finish college. I had to get a job. And I'm so grateful to this program because there's nothing that I haven't gone through. Again, God showing up that someone in the program has not gone through that could show me the way. All I needed to do was to be humble enough to reach out and ask for help. This is a program of ego reduction, right? 
we need to be able to ask for help. And I can't tell you how many times I've reached out and said, hey, I'm going through this situation and someone has called me and said, I've done this. This is what I've done, right? So I had to learn how to date, how to self-support, how to get married, how to have children. And now I'm an empty nester. If anyone has an instruction manual for retirement, I'd love to see yours. <laughs> you know, it's really hard to jam, you know, all of these years of this wonderful life that I've been given thus far. Um, you know, and it hasn't been like there hasn't been tragedies and things that I could have never imagined. But there isn't anything that I've gone through that a bite of my binge foods would have made better. Right. I've been restored to sanity now. I can actually think a binge through right before there was no thought, right? How many times did I stand in front of the refrigerator five bites into a binge going, how the hell did I get here, right? To me, being restored to sanity says there's a thought, there's a pause between the craziness that goes on in my head. I mean, sure, the food may not be the first thing that I think about, but there's a lot of crazy behaviors. <laughs> there's a lot of character defects up here. You know what I mean? I can be a whack job on any given Sunday, depending on my emotional and my serenity and my spiritual growth. And I take very seriously what it says in the big book that my recovery is contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Because I don't think my relapse now will start with a bite of food. That's the end of a relapse. My relapse starts when I stop doing things that I need to do for my program and I start indulging in character defects that I'm not willing to talk about or work on, right? Or I'm not addressing resentments that are starting to build up right? The buildup of human emotions that can go on if I'm not addressing them and acting on them. If I don't have an active spiritual life, you know, what is my spiritual life? I get up in the morning, I'm on my knees before I stand on my feet because I need God today to help me stay sober, abstinent, and sane and have power and knowledge to do his will for me today. I ask for God for another day. I do my readings in the big book and my devotionals in the morning. I have sponsee calls, right? I have connections throughout the day. I'm going to meetings. I'm giving service. I mean, my program and my spiritual growth are my anchor in the whirling dervish of what is my life, right? They are my anchors now. It's not too much work for me. I'm not too busy to do my program. My program is my life. And then the rest of my life goes on around it. You know, that's what I mean by my anchors in my day. It's just the way I live. I live my life. Does it take time? Is it inconvenient sometimes? Does it piss off family members sometimes? Yeah, it does. And I've had to learn how to work and collaborate with family members and husbands and doing the things that I need to do um, to take care of myself, right? Five and I humbly remaining, can, Amy. Thank you. And I humbly concede that I need to do those things. There's not a restaurant I walk into without first checking the menu, or I'm online now checking the menu, right? There's when we go traveling, there's always needed extra space in, in suitcases and things because I have to plan accordingly to make sure that I can get the food that I need. You know, if I didn't have a leg. I wouldn't get out of bed without putting my prosthetic on, right? Because I'd fall on my face and that I have some limitations. I live a full life, but I live within certain limitations so that I can work my program. And sometimes that inconveniences people, but that's okay, right? So I keep an active program. I give service. I try to stay spiritually fit as much as possible. Do I do that perfectly? I absolutely do not. It is a one day at a time program. But I will say there's a couple of quotes from the big book that I wanted to finish with. And for those of you who are big book enthusiasts, um, 
please don't shoot me because they're not from the first 164 pages of the big book. They're from some of the stories on the, on the fourth edition. This is on page 317, and it's a, the story, My Chance to Live. It says, sobriety is nothing like I thought it would be. At first, it was one big emotional roller coaster full of sharp highs and deep lows. My emotions were new, untested, and I wasn't entirely certain I wanted to deal with them. I cried when I would have been laughing or should have been laughing. I laughed when I should have cried. Events I thought were the end of the world turned out to be gifts. It was all very confusing. Slowly, things began to even out. And as I began to take the steps of recovery, my role in the pitiful condition of my life became clear. If asked what the two most important things in recovery are, I would have to say willingness and action. I was willing to believe that what AA and OA was telling me was the truth. I wanted to believe it in a true way that I cannot relate in words. I wanted this thing to work. Then I began to take the course of action prescribed. You know, events that I thought were the end of the world turned out to be gifts. You know, I can say now that I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. I mean, that used to make me gag when I heard other people say that, right? But now I can say I have a life beyond my wildest dreams because of this program. Uh, and I'm grateful to be recovered. And then my last quote is from um, the story, Me, an Alcoholic. It's on page 386. And it says, here... I have found an ingredient that had been lacking in any other effort I had made to save myself. Here was power. Here was the power to live to the end of any given day, power to have the courage to face the next day, power to have friends, power to help people, power to be sane, power to stay sober. A couple sentences down. Moreover, I am deeply convinced that so long as I continue to strive in my bumbling way toward the principles I first encountered in the earlier chapters of this book, this remarkable power will continue to flow through me. What is this power? With my AA friends, all I can say, it is a power greater than myself. So thanks, y'all, for letting me share. Grateful to be with you today. We recover one day at a time. I love to you all. I pass.